past tense. The petals within nature fall into the floor, looking for a safe space where the light can come in. The riot of change, the before, the surface of the crawling after. Before there was a frame to things, the blue surreal, the junk of the raindrops, the traffic of clouds surging through time, the echoes of random reflections on the clock in the hallway. In the empty oblong sky, I didn't need night vision back then. In the morning, the raw flowers of hunger and salt pressed a slow pause on the dreaming. I felt comfortable. I was one of the actresses in the film, part of the team. I had things in common. I danced with other people. Thought of them undressed now and again. I laughed and broke my nails and drank vodka. The simple carefree pleasure of being on the phone, working a case, looking for justice, trying to take down the humans caked in demon juice. The darkness that walks amongst us. The glitter of not being damaged. The knowing smile of being in the tangent of the social flow with my colleagues. There was an affinity, a sense of silk, a luxury of sharing our professional lives together, even if I wasn't particularly close to them. My feelings now, the dead algebra of using a gun, I have changed. The new job helps me. It allows me to cover up, to think about healing, to stay close to Crest, still hiding, still trying to feel my way around the outlines of survival, still in plain sight. It helps I can avoid unnecessary interaction. I am my own boss. That is liberating, stressful and challenging. Some of the jobs are interesting. I don't really like the cases where I am asked to discover whether or not Jack or Jill is having an affair. A lot of the time, it seems that the world is at war, occasionally really physically violent war. But more often than not, it is the deep, damaging, emotional carnage of the Cold War between the sexes. The world is full of shattered relationships and bleeding hearts. I am in a different space now, thanks to Crest. The professor is a godsend, a warm, kind-hearted person who I can trust implicitly. 
he is an intellect in his own world, but crucially he sees me for who I am and doesn't judge me. The girls are Star Trek refreshing, guitar-playing androids with an intellect to die for. They understand the beauty of language. Their complete lack of humour is actually very funny. Okay, they are not human, which generally means they are polite. Like I said, refreshing. Some may say it is shallow. I don't see it that way. They fulfil my needs. There is never any drama or upset and they are just really pleasant to be around. They don't lie and they are not interested in manipulation or control. They are not like the before. They are not a threat. But that chapter is finally and definitively closed, she thought. Then she fixed her hair and welcomed Pat and Cassandra with a bright smile as they arrived in her new sky-coloured Fiat 500. Amy, who by now had learned about the strange dynamics between the two, invited them to sit down and enjoy the freshly brewed coffee, wanting to dismantle the George and Mildred effect that the pair dragged behind them like a tail. Pat snorted. Cassandra believes we should continue to seek answers from the Francis case, he said with an air of resignation. Amy laughed. So you're convinced of this too? Cassandra laughed as well. I guess that's not a bad idea, he complained, beginning to sip the coffee. Amy sighed. We have more than one problem here. But we know this, right? One of them is the Cochrane won't open the door for us, and Pat shouldn't even be here right now. Pat immediately placed the cup on Amy's desk. Do you understand now? What did I tell you? I shouldn't even be here. He reproached Cassandra. She took a breath. Okay, I'll give you credit for that. But since you're here, what do you want to do? If you wish, take my car keys and go. I couldn't drive that death trap, not even under torture. My whole body already hurts from the tension. At my age, the only requirement to feel achy is to be alive. Well, I don't know about you, but if you ask me, death must take me alive. Cassandra replied angrily. 
Amy immediately understood the criticality of the moment and decided to cut it short. Let's do this. Cassandra and I have an informal chat while you finish your coffee and go wherever you feel calmest. Maybe we'll see each other again in half an hour. My mad scientist is coming to pick me up to go for Mexican food. Join us. I'm sure he will bring the girls. Senor Paco loves them and always gives us a discount when he can sing with them. Pat imagined at least a dozen good reasons for declining the invitation, but none compared to the crazy idea of singing along with this Mr. Paco. Done deal, he said to the two women, leaving the scene with the confident air of an old-fashioned detective. Cassandra rolled her eyes and Amy poured her more coffee. So where do you want to start? Cassandra took a sip, then her eyes bright as day. She sat back a little more comfortably in her chair and cleared her throat. I'm convinced that the answers to the Francis case may be the key not only to solving the mystery of his death. Amy listened without ever taking her eyes off Cassandra's. Well, when Pat and I were so to speak crashed here, that theatre was the place where we landed. Could it be a coincidence that at least, and I underline at least, two events like this, both exceptional and inexplicable, occurred there? Amy nodded without saying a word. You don't forget the old school. You have to listen. Notice every inflection. Every syllable can reveal small and fundamental truths. This is how she learned to discover the culprits, at least at the police station. You're right, she said to Cassandra, interrupting that last sequence of thoughts, which would have led her down another black hole. Amy fought and defeated the abyss every single day, and every single day she thanked herself for embracing the chance to live and love. What do you propose to do? Cassandra asked her, with the enthusiasm of a girl planning to run away from home with her boyfriend. To Amy, this girl 
had the strength to follow the truth at all costs, instead of staying locked up at home, looking for peace, she'd want to live in the present, and would do anything to imagine a future. For her, Cassandra was a comic book heroine personified, an existential paradox, contrary to everything she had believed in until her rebirth. In Amy's mind, Cassandra represented an atavistic need to be happy, and for this reason, above all, this reason, she would never have been able to say no to her request. I think you and I should go to that theatre one more time. Cassandra smiled proudly. We should do it my way though, Amy added, as if to say, don't joke about doing those supernatural tricks on me girl. Cassandra understood immediately and held out her hand as a sign of good intentions and good faith. One more thing, do you plan to inform Gareth? I'd rather know now how you intend to deal with him. Cassandra sighed. Gareth, of course, wouldn't have taken it well. Telling him the truth would have pissed him off, but not telling him would have hurt them both. Amy squeezed Cassandra's hand. I know Cochrane isn't afraid of anything, especially when it comes to you. Amy reassured her. Enjoy the Mexican. I'm going home to prepare lasagna. Gareth adores it. Amy laughed. I'm calling you for our appointment, she said. Meanwhile, Cassandra was already in her 500. As she started the engine, the radio came back on, not failing to dispense unsolicited advice. Cassandra smiled and started to sing along to Caterina Caselli's Nessuno mi puoi guidicare. <laughs> 